This episode of Scandal Water contains adult themes and descriptions of violence. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. Here we are again. I know. I feel like I just saw you. I know. <laughs> it's a recording day, everyone. Yeah. Yes. And in fact, this is how dedicated we are. We are missing the Super Bowl to tape record oh, that's episodes not for you. No, that's <laughs> Come okay. On, it was sounding impressive. It Ashley. was. I can't I can't let you lie to the people. <laughs> oh, and you know what? Speaking of recording, since we're kind of chit-chatting about this, probably you've seen this a long time ago on our Scandal Water podcast Facebook page. But in case you're wondering, everything you hear now is new. Oh, uh, that's right. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Our last banked episode. If, if you from will, the vault. from the vault, yes, was our Joan and Betty episode back in February. So everything after that has been newly recorded. And from now on, it's all fresh. Fresh for your ears. That's right. So very excited about today's topic because this one is a surprise. Yes, you keep for, dangling. You said surprise, surprise. <laughs> so Ashley. Yes, ma'am. Tell me what you know about Marilyn Monroe's death. Oh, well, (laughs) I know that the rumor has it that she overdosed on some sleeping pills or some kind of narcotics and that she was found naked on her bed. Listener discretion is advised. I don't know. But that there are rumors that she was either offed by the mafia or by the Kennedy brothers because of Mm. she was pregnant with Bobby Kennedy's baby. There was that rumor going on. I don't know. But that's what I know. Sort of. As always, you know quite a bit. <laughs> that was just a few sentences. Well, this is our topic for today. Ooh, Marilyn Monroe's death. Yes. You know, I just watched Gentlemen Prefer Blondes the other day. It was so cute. Tell really me cute. about it because I've never seen it. You know, I had seen bits of it a long, long time ago, but it's, I think I've got the title, title right. Yeah, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is the one she's in with Jane Russell, and it was her first big film it's got the song diamonds are a girl's best friend which madonna then plays off of right. from material girl later mm-hmm. of course i went and looked at the trivia it's different from the play it was a play mm. and they wrote it for their strengths mm. and they also said that jane russell and marilyn monroe were very good friends and you could kind of tell that in the film because jane russell's character really took care of her and mm-hmm. they said when marilyn would have some of her anxiety attacks and not want to come out of her, mm-hmm. her trailer that jane would be the one that could get her out and that nice. she could talk to her and that marilyn would say later that jane was very kind to her so they both had very good things to say about each other this film came right after monkey business which is also a very cute farcical film with Cary grant and ginger rogers but charles coburn was in it and this little dude i cannot remember his name but he was a teeny tiny little guy he's about eight years old and he had this really adult sounding voice and they have this one scene <laughs> where they've changed it to where jane russell in the play her character was supposed to have a love interest and they changed it to this eight-year-old kid to make it a gag. Oh, funny. Yeah. So he comes to the table and they think he's going to be this somebody, somebody the third and it's this kid. <laughs> well, Marilyn gets stuck in a, what's those things on boats? It's a circle. What's that? Portal? Yeah. She gets stuck in one of those mm-hmm. and the kid comes up and she has to help him and he says, I'll help you for two reasons. One, I'm too young to go to jail and two, you have a lot of animal magnetism. <laughs> <laughs> so he helps her out. But I just remember that quote. That was very cute. Nice. Anyway, and well done. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, it's a very cute movie it probably would have been better if she hadn't been so breathy you know mm-hmm. it was almost like she was doing a caricature of herself yes. but we know that she also created this character absolutely so it was a little of that but once you got past that it was very fun an interesting little twist here i hope that you go with me on this ashley i'm going in thinking about our theme you know these comedians who built an empire mm-hmm. but also having been intrigued by our earlier episode where we talked about conspiracy theories. I felt like, why not do a mashup? Let's do it. Why not 
not look at this person who certainly was a comedian who definitely built an empire, built an empire, yeah, but also died under very, very unusual and suspicious circumstances. Very true, and at least in many people's minds. Let's just take a look at this and bring this into our theme for April. Let's do it. Okay. So just to start at the end, the year 2022 does mark the 60th anniversary of her death. Mm, I'm not sure if you thought about that. Mm -hmm. The LA Times article that actually reported her death back on August 6, 1962, I found the actual article, which was Mm. cool, but also kind of sad. Yes. Mm -hmm. But it described her death this way. And this is an actual quote. Marilyn Monroe, a troubled beauty who failed to find happiness as Hollywood's brightest star, was discovered dead in her Brentwood home of an apparent overdose of sleeping pills Sunday. The blonde, 36-year-old actor was nude, lying face down on her bed, and clutching a telephone receiver in her hand when a psychiatrist broke into her room at 3.30 a.m. She had been dead an estimated six to eight hours. Mm. So again, that article came out on August 6th, mm-hmm. but she was found on the day before, on August 5th of 1962, which means that she had actually died on August 4th. Fourth, okay. And again, she was only 36 years old. It's so young. Oh, yeah. And how much she could have done after that. Goodness. Same age as Princess Di. Really? I think so. Okay. So her cause of death was declared eventually to be from an overdose. To be more specific, as you had already said, the police said it was suicide by barbiturates. But there were these circumstances, as we've already alluded, mm-hmm. that immediately raised suspicions. Mm-hmm. Some of the questions people asked why weren't there any traces of the pills in her stomach oh would somebody who had so many great plans for the future actually kill herself yes yeah, i think she was filming another movie wasn't she, she yes With she Dean was martin she yep she had just been pulled back into a movie mm-hmm. and what about this claim by one of the lapd sergeants who said that her body looked staged and why did it take so long for the police to be called after she was found dead also wouldn't somebody who had swallowed dozens of pills have a glass of water somewhere nearby? Sure, or have vomited at some kind? Like That happens a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, these were just some of the questions that people started posing, and this is why there are so many conspiracy theories yeah. around Marilyn Monroe's death. So we're going to go back and start at the beginning and talk about Marilyn, kind of her history. Norma Jean. Yep. And do you want to tell us some of what you know about her life before I just jump in here? So Norma Jean Baker, right? She Mm -hmm. was born Norma Jean Baker. Actually, uh, Norma Jean Daughtery, or that was her married Norma name? Jean Mortensen. Mortensen, and then mm-hmm. she married Baker, the boy Baker. Well, she changed it to Baker because of her mom, but yeah, we'll oh, get to okay. that in a minute. Okay, so she didn't never knew who her father was, and she always pretended it was Clark Gable, which is why it's when she did the Misfits with him later. It was a little kind of a full circle moment. Mm. She got married very young. She worked in a factory and what, did photographs or was discovered in some way mm. and kind of um, used her looks, let's say, that gently to get her ahead mm-hmm. and she found a benefactor gently saying in a movie executive someone that were or again this is just my memory someone that would help her get roles and she created this entire persona of the blonde bombshell i think there is this what do you call it like a urban legend maybe story out there where she was with a friend one time and she said do you want to see her and the friend was like what do you mean and she said well do you want to see do you want to see marilyn because they were just out mm-hmm. in public right. and they were able to walk around in public and then she just turned on Marilyn oh. and everybody started noticing her and this and that and but that she was actually a lot more intelligent mm-hmm. than than she would have let people say and, a, and one of the lines in the gentlemen prefer blondes was actually improv by her the man of the person that she wants to marry says to her you're only marrying my son for his money and she says no I'm not he says well you're saying I'm a liar and she says no I'm marrying him for your money (laughs) (laughs) and he says well that's because she said if you had if you had a daughter wouldn't you want her to have the best in the world well why should that be any less for me and I'm paraphrasing he says well that's pretty smart and she says well I can be smart but people don't like it when you're smart (laughs) oh yeah something along those lines how do you happen to know all this about her I just watched that film I don't know two or three weeks ago so I I just looked it up back then, and that's how that's how my brain works. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, so one of the things I 
want to say because you brought up some things that I didn't even come across while uh-huh. doing my research because honestly, I could have spent like a year on this. Yeah, there are so many character. things out there. She was fascinating and so many things have been written about her. Yeah. Like I think I quoted, I don't know, I, I think I've pulled from something like 13 different sources and those are just the ones I pulled from. Another one that I really need to turn you on to this video series Be Kind Rewind. That's probably where I got more info as I watched about the misfits and I Golly, I am so sorry that I do not remember. Or maybe she doesn't say what her name is. The girl's name that does these videos. But they're so well done. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about her last days. And how it feels like everybody just took advantage of her. Mm -hmm. And just even in The Misfits, Arthur Miller wrote this the movie for her. And it still exploited her. And how she Mm -hmm. was trying to come out of that. She wanted to do dramatic work. And she wanted to to change her image. And that even in the movie, there's a, a point where one of the characters comes up to her. And the closets open and it's her old pinups mm-hmm. like it's Marilyn's pinups right and he tries to look at him and she closes it and she's like oh no no that's that's all behind me now and ah. the guy keeps trying to open it and she keeps trying to close mm-hmm. it and it's this symbolism of I want to move on with my right. life yeah I'm ready for something else now. ready for something else Ooh, well, that's a really good, I don't know, really good lead in. You gave some great context there. That's awesome. But but you also remind me to say, please, everyone recognize there are so many things that are being left out of of this story. So for example, I'll probably hit on a couple of the top theories, but there are several I'm sure I I won't touch on. So anyway, starting at the beginning, you've already told us she was actually born as Norma Jean Mortensen to Gladys Pearl Baker on June 1st of 1926 in Los Angeles, California. Marilyn was later given her mom's name and baptized as Norma Jean Baker. Okay. And she then would later take her mother's maiden name of Monroe for her stage name. Okay. As you said, she never knew her dad. And a lot of people did speculate that she spent a great deal of her life seeking the love that she mm-hmm. never got from her father. Yes. Mm-hmm. Her childhood was incredibly difficult. Her mother suffered from mental illness. And after a psychotic episode, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia mm-hmm. and committed to a hospital. And then from then on, she was just pretty much in and out of hospitals mm-hmm. her entire life, which then, of course, would be Marilyn's entire childhood. Right. As a result, Marilyn spent most of her childhood in foster homes or even a few years in an orphanage, even though, of course, she was not truly an orphan right. by the right. definition. And for a while, she stayed with a friend of her mother's. She'll come back in a second. But the point is, even though her mother was alive, Marilyn really felt abandoned. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that would be hard. And she also confessed later in her life to a psychiatrist that at some point, and I don't have any details about this, but at some point she confessed that she had been sexually abused. Oh, I would believe that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these are things that really helped to make her who she was. She had a lot of trauma. and vulnerable Mm -hmm. as she was, I would definitely believe that. Now, just to kind of mention this, there are a few different sources that I'm, I'm going to be pulling from. One, if I'm not pulling from them directly, they get referenced in other articles about them. I should say that. There's a 2010 book called Fragments, Poems, Intimate Notes, Letters. And those were actually archival poems and, and letters and notes and recipes, etc. from Marilyn herself. Oh, she wrote the poems? That, that, yes, they found oh, these neat. things and they put them out. A lot of people would pull from that even in articles about Marilyn. Okay. So, so I just want to make sure that I mention that source because okay. it, it'll come up a few times. And then also she had several people who wrote biographies about her, but yeah. one who I'm going to end up quoting from quite a bit, his name is James Spada and he wrote a book called Monroe. And so okay. you'll hear several quotes from James Spada as well. So when Marilyn was 16 years old, she married James Dougherty. He was an intelligent, attractive man who was 21 years old. So he was five years older. Mm -hmm. And some sources said that he was a neighbor. They married on June 19th, 1942. In one of those same personal documents that we talked about, how how these got published later in her life, she described that she was feeling very lonely, very insecure about this sudden marriage, and really kind of gave the impression that it was less of a love match and more a way to keep Marilyn, um, what's the word? kind of taking care of taking care of is a good way to say it Uh because 
Her caretakers at that time were Grayson, Irwin, known as Doc, that was his nickname, Goddard. These caretakers, again, were people who had known the mom, and they were temporarily watching out for her, and they were getting ready to move to West Virginia, and they needed something to do with Marilyn. They didn't want to take her with them? Apparently not. Another source speculated that Grace may have also been a little concerned that here was this very attractive Norma Jean, and And didn't really like her around her husband, and kind of wanted to... Separate those two. Exactly. That was just a speculation from one of the sources. But the point is, somehow or other, she ends up married to this 21-year-old neighbor at 16 years of age. Now, he was a factory worker who later enrolled in the Merchant Navy, and he was sent to the South Pacific during World War II. So now she's still alone. She's back to being alone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. As this very young mayor. I mean, that would be such a difficult transition. But as you said, in the meantime, a photographer had discovered Marilyn while she was working in a California munitions factory. And that's what launched her into her modeling career. Okay. All right. So her agency was the Blue Book Modeling Agency. And they said, rather than try to do high fashion, she should go the pinup route. Uh. And that's what caused her to dye her hair blonde. Okay. All right. So that's when she kind of got her classic signature look. Mm -hmm. She was only about 19 at that time. And about a year later, in June of 1946, is when she and her husband, James, divorced. He's not even been home that much. Right. He, later in some source, I saw him quote that had it not been for being sent away in the war, he thought he would still be, still have been married to her, like throughout his entire life. He feels like that was kind of what broke them up. Really? Yeah. Sure. But for whatever reason, they ended up divorced. And in 1947 is when she signed a film contract with 20th Century Fox. And he doesn't think that would have broken them up. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Well. She was on a path, man. Dream on, James. Yeah, Come on. dream on, James. She was on a path and you were not on you that were not path. part of it. No, you were not. So to transition from modeling to acting, she did enroll in acting school where she also learned not just about acting, but singing and dancing. But she also continued to model on the side. So she was industrious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One source noted that she went to the studio every single day to do photo shoots or to take acting classes. And the casting director of 20th Century Fox, a man named Ben Lyons, he remembers, this is a quote from him. He said that he asked Marilyn, why do you work so hard? The other kids that are under contract, I call sometimes at 11, 12 o'clock. They're still sleeping from being out the night before. And he said that her reply was, well, Mr. Lyon, I work hard because one day maybe opportunity opportunity will knock and I want to be prepared. There you go. So she was definitely about getting things done. She was ambitious. She knew she had nobody else to depend on. Hardworking. It was it. She was herself. Like she had only herself to depend on, and she's got to get herself through this. Yeah. Well, she did get a few bit parts, but her actual big break came in 1950 when she landed a few small roles. One of them was in All About Eve, and the other one. Mm -hmm. Have you you've Mm -hmm. seen all these? Not all of them. A bunch. A bunch. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one was the Asphalt Jungle. See, I have not seen that, so there you go. Okay. And by the way, Betty Davis was in All About Yes, she was. Yeah. (laughs) What did she say? Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. (laughs) But Marilyn's true breakout performance came in Niagara in 1953. And you've seen that one too? Yes. Good heavens. (laughs) I saw it a long time ago. It was like a psychological thriller. That's exactly what they called it. A thriller in which Monroe played an adulterous young wife who plots with her lover to kill her husband. Ooh, it does sound Mm -hmm. good. It was also in 1953 that she made history by becoming the first cover and centerfold of Playboy magazine. So she was already really working that that, sex symbol angle. And that was at a very young age. It said that after starring turns in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and How to Marry a Millionaire, both both of which were also released in 1953. Oh, both. She wow. had now made her way to top of Hollywood's oh, yeah. A-list. Did you know, this is another trivia I learned, Jane Russell was paid like, uh, I'm going to make up a number, let's say let's say $200,000. It was something, it was a lot. Marilyn just made the day rate for a gentleman performance. Are you blonde, serious? Because she wasn't a big star yet. Oh, but yeah, boy that changed. did things change. Mm-hmm. Yep. And again, literally it says in my notes, by this time she had created her signature persona. She was this sexy, vulnerable, quotation marks, dumb blonde. That is, that is the character that she had now created. Mm -hmm. 
In January of 1954, she married baseball great Joe DiMaggio Mm -hmm. at San Francisco City Hall. Said that they had been dating around two years about that time. But then they divorced in October after only nine months. How did you know nine months? I just remembered (laughs) that because I thought that was short. That's very short. (laughs) It was also not long after the release of the movie The Seven Year Itch, just to kind of put it in context. I think that he was jealous. I think that's what I heard is he Mm -hmm. did not like all that. He wanted her to wear a turtle. Or no, maybe that's Arthur Miller that wanted her to wear the turtlenecks and cover up one of them wanted her to cover up mm-hmm. all the time and she's like look i ain't about that mm-hmm. that's this is that's how I, I am that's yeah. how i got here right well you were exactly right because it was it was in a lot of the sources that he was very bothered by her sexy image and mm-hmm. like the frenzy that would surround her so one of the examples they gave was that on their honeymoon they actually went together so that she could do this performance for u.s servicemen who were stationed in korea and it caused such a frenzy it was a near riot that broke out apparently and this bothered him you know to see his wife in the center of all this attention putting on this big sexy show all these you know like these were not things that that he could deal with and this is not actually in my notes but I do remember reading watching her with the scene where the the dress is being blown up and and, you know he I think there was um, this is a paraphrase but there was some kind of quote about this is my wife showing her underwear yeah you know he just he just did not like this but they did remain really great friends and after After her death, he is very well known for sending Mm -hmm. roses to her grave several times a week for more than three decades until he died himself in 1999. That's a lot of money Mm -hmm. and a lot of dedication. Oh, yes, it is. It's a very beautiful sentiment right and gesture well after her divorce she moved to new york to try to break away she wanted to kind of restart she wanted to break away from that dumb blonde stereotype she wanted to do more serious acting Mm -hmm. now this is when she got involved with the famous actor studio Mm -hmm. and she became close to the founder lee strasberg and his wife and she took it very seriously she really wanted to change her image and everything about her past this is it makes me think of your your story um, oh closing the door yeah the door on the pinups because she even founded Marilyn Monroe Productions Company, MMP, with photographer Milton Green at this time. It was 1954. And this production company allowed her to take more creative control over film projects. She was looking to really take control of her life and her career. Do you think that Joe had a lot to do with that? Because maybe she obviously went into that marriage thinking, I'm going to use my body. I'm going to do this. Do you think that his influence made her go, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I want people to take me seriously. And she was seeing herself through his eyes that made her go, I don't know that I like what I see anymore. Well, I never saw anything that said that. But yeah, I that's think my that's total a, inference. Yeah, that's a great inference. And that it could be that. And also maybe coming out of a breakup with somebody mm-hmm. that you respected mm-hmm. that you you know, you saw as a person who could have been a life partner yeah. with you had yeah. things been a little different. Yeah. Maybe that causes you to be reflective, Maybe. you know, I don't know. But now we're up to 1956, and this was a big year for Marilyn. She turned 30, Bus Stop came out, and this was a performance for which she got a lot of nice critical praise. It was also the year that she married her third husband, Arthur Miller. Mm -hmm. As you've said, he is that playwright. He wrote things like Death of a Salesman, The Crucible, All My Sons. But, interesting, I'm, I'm kind of doing a little side note here, interestingly, between their engagement and the wedding, Arthur Miller was actually investigated by the FBI for ties to communism. He was also subpoenaed by the House Un-American Activities Committee. So I believe that the reason he was being investigated was because of his writing of The Crucible Mm -hmm. and his alleged ties to McCarthyism, some of those different things. Because some people have said that's an allegory for McCarthyism, Oh, yes, definitely, yes. She was very happy with Arthur. This was widely reported that it was a good marriage and she really adored him. That's good. But it came out in some of those personal notes and communications that she actually felt like she had been betrayed by him at one point. And it was a huge betrayal. Based on what she shared in some of her private conversations and these documents, that I've been talking about. One day, she stumbled upon a diary entry of Arthur's in which he complained that he was, quote, disappointed in her and sometimes embarrassed by her in in front of his friends. And supposedly this was really devastating to her. Yeah. Like devastating. Yeah. One of her greatest 
fears, it said. She had so many insecurities. Yeah. She, with her whole upbringing, she often, you know, she was seeking love. Yep. You know, she needed affirmation. She needed mm-hmm. love. And it was a fear to disappoint people. Mm-hmm. And to to her, it felt like this had come true. It said in my notes, so this was a source that said, his betrayal confirmed what she'd always been deeply terrified of. So after this discovery of his little note in the diary, it said that she became more reliant on barbiturates to help with her sleeping problems. And this is also where she began doing more psychotherapy, mm. which had already become a big part of her life and her treatment ever since she'd become involved with that actor studio. But the point is that this is a place in her life where she was really becoming more fragile and more emotionally unstable. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, I think we've already alluded to this. She had suffered off and on for years with anxiety and depression. She was not only abusing pills, she had problems with alcohol as well. Mm -hmm. And it was said that over the course of the years that she was married to Arthur Miller, she had suffered from something like three miscarriages. Yeah. She was a a heartbreaking time for her. It was an, she was an emotional tailspin. Yeah. It said in a few different sources that one of her biggest wants in life was to be a mom. Mm. So the fact that she had these miscarriages, I think was particularly devastating to her. So obviously some of these personal struggles started to also play out in her professional life. And we're going to talk about a few of those, but probably this would be a good time to take a break. Do you Let's think? do it. Let's do it. Okay. So in 1959, she played Sugarcane in the movie Some Like It Hot, and this was a big one for her in terms of getting some attention. Yep. They say that it's one of her greatest performances, but this is also where she was really getting a reputation for being difficult on set. Have you heard about some of the things she did? I mean, not all of it. The one thing that I've heard is just that she wouldn't come to set. Right. Or she would keep asking for retakes, and Mm -hmm. she would look to, she started bringing her acting coach with her, and she started looking to the acting coach instead of the director and if the acting coach gave her a look like well that wasn't your best work she'd want a retake she was trying to impress the acting coach instead of just working with the director right yeah the director really had some issues with her although later he also talked about how she just nailed that role and how marvelous she was in it that's the thing Mm -hmm. she just when she's on she's just marvelous but it's just getting her to that point right Yeah. Well, 1961 was a hugely challenging year for her because that was when she broke up with Arthur Miller. Their marriage ended after four years. And to make it worse, the break occurred while she was filming her final full-length movie that came out, which was a Western called The Misfits that you talked about. I mean, that's terrible. Gosh. So how challenging, though, because she's in this movie, and I didn't write this in my notes, but I remember reading that he would even, like, change some of the lines on her. Like, it was not amicable. They were not, like, super (laughs) pleased with each other. And so it was torturous to be doing this with him. The movie co-starred Montgomery Clift and Clark Gable. You've already mentioned that. It was also, by the way, his final appearance on screen. Which some people blamed on her, by the way. That she make cause so many. De- that's what I learned in that Be Kind oh. Rewind. They were saying that she caused so many delays that he had to be out there. Like they got hotter. So oh, when he okay. was working with the horses and they tried to throw it onto her. Another thing they said in this video is that the um, director was a gambler because they were in Nevada, I think, somewhere maybe. They gave him some money for gambling and he blew through that and he ran up the budget for the oh, set because no. he got into debt. So they had to take a break from filming and he kind of finagled it to where he was like, hey, we're going to take a break from filming, Marilyn. Why don't you go home and take some rest? And she was like, okay. So she goes home and goes into this, not sanitarium, that's probably the wrong word, but she just goes to a, a place to kind of get rest and sleep. And then they twisted that in the newspaper to say, well, we have delays because Marilyn had to oh. go in for treatment she's exhausted and mm. and it was really he'd run up a bunch of money Ugh. and they just used her again go to be kind that. we'll go to be kind rewind okay. and watch about the misfits okay. and i could be paraphrasing all of that but it was very fascinating wow well that's interesting mm-hmm. well to make matters worse the movie ended up being a box office disappointment so all of this is just adding to her increasing emotional fragility and on top of that as you've already said she was admitted on two different occasions to hospitals for psychiatric observation or rest and it's said during this time she'd also had gallbladder surgery so she'd been dealing with that illness oh and by the way i should back up and say this being institutionalized 
for Marilyn would be doubly traumatic because of what had happened to her mom. She had a terrible fear that she was going to have the same mental illness that her mom did and be in that same situation. So that would definitely increase her anxiety and, and, you know, her emotional fragility Fragility. for sure. So Marilyn's famous happy birthday tribute to JFK. Let's talk about this. Okay. It occurred at his 45th birthday celebration at Madison Square Garden on May 19th, 1962. This is just months before her death. Guys, we're we're getting to the really super interesting part. Okay. It's all been interesting. Well, (laughs) it gets even juicier. So how did she end up doing this? According to biography.com, Marilyn Monroe and JFK were already intimately acquainted, though researchers really kind of downplay the idea that there was a lengthy affair there. Most of the researchers tend to agree that Marilyn Monroe and JFK had spent a night together following a party at Bing Crosby's Palm Springs house in late March. And that's when people speculate that he probably invited her to do this this Big Apple fundraiser that was supposed to be time to celebrate his birthday, although his actual birthday came 10 days later. Other people do seem to affirm that that rumor. In fact, her masseur, if I said that right, a Ralph Roberts claimed that their only, quote, sexual encounter took place in a bedroom at Bing Crosby's home on March 24th, 1962, just two months before Monroe's performance at Madison Square Garden. And this is his quote, Marilyn gave me the impression that it was not a major event for either of them. It happened once that weekend, and that was that. So... Mm. This is this is just coming from some sources mm-hmm. again alleged right but I had to look this up we'll we'll put this in our show notes but I had never actually watched the performance. You hadn't? Not until I was doing this research. Wow, she looks like she is just smoked out of her mind, it's right? It's crazy. Well, the part that got me was... Where she's like doing the... Yeah. With her hair. Well, she's doing that, but I, I have to say, I was I re- did the research first, and it's talked about her outfit. It yes, said, it said sewed in. She's sewed into that baby. Literally sewn into it. A specially designed outfit. It was flesh colored, mm-hmm. embedded with more than 2,500 rhinestones, tailored to hug her curves. And it literally said it was supposed to give the illusion that she was naked and she played it up. When I watched that YouTube clip of her coming out to do it, she does come out with that little stole kind of covering the upper part of her dress. She, she does a little shimmy out there. And by the way, they had really played it up because it was this big joke now about how she was always tardy to things. So Peter Lawford was the one supposed to introduce her and throughout the thing every so often he would be like and now Marilyn Monroe and it was the joke that she was late she wasn't Uh, there yet so then when she finally comes out this time with her little fur stole shimmying up she gets up beside him and when she takes that little stole off she did for a minute look like she was 100% naked wow Yeah, there was a quote. This was in Time Magazine. The figure was famous. And for one breathless moment, the 15,000 people in Madison Square Garden thought they were going to see all of it. (laughs) But no, I, I noticed... I noticed she was doing the breathy thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, to the hilt. I thought she just looked like she was, I thought she sounded like that she was stoned or high mm. or, ma. well, maybe high is the wrong word because that indicates that she's taken some kind of, I thought she was on something. Let's put oh, it that way. I thought, don't know what, but I thought she was definitely on something. Under the influence yes. of something. Yes. Yeah. Well, if you haven't seen it, again, go take a look. It's short. She goes from happy birthday into her version of thanks for the memory where she kind of changed the lyrics a little bit to to fit you know the president and then it said later Kennedy joked that he could retire after having had happy birthday sung to me in such a sweet wholesome way what yeah Yeah, okay and then it said that supposedly Marilyn and the president did mingle briefly at an after party of studio boss Arthur B. Krim which is where the only known photo of the two of them together along with Kennedy's brother Robert Mm -hmm. was taken we'll put that photo in our show notes as you know well who, you know who i think wasn't at that party who jackie jackie, <laughs> jackie kennedy probably not in that room no yeah it's supposed to be the only existing photo of either of the kennedys with Marilyn, and it was kept a secret for decades it was only mm. released in 2010 mm. one 
theory I saw was that they had kept it put away supposedly out of respect for Jackie. Oh, gotcha. But another source said that the photographer had also been told not to take the photo. Oh. So that's interesting. That is interesting. While we're on this topic, just really briefly, I'll, I'll throw this in here. Of course, most everyone knows Marilyn was also alleged to have had an affair with Robert Kennedy that was more involved. People right. thought that one was much lengthier. One of her biographers, the same James Spada that I mentioned before, said this was his phrasing, that when Kennedy tired of her, he passed her off to his brother. A different source said it was speculated that Robert, who was attorney general at the time, may have been trying to distract Marilyn Monroe from his brother, his brother because yeah. that would be so damaging to the president. So either way, in these months leading says, up to her death. He says, hey, don't worry, Jack. I got this. <laughs> let me help He's you. He's like, let me, I'll, 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 I'll take one for the team. I'll date Marilyn if you, if you really need, pull my arm. Kid grief. Yeah. Well, and let's not forget they're both married men. Right? Mm, Come on, guys. All right. But point is, in the months leading up to her death, we do have this situation where rumor has it that she was involved with both of them. and, And one or both who may have also been trying to end it. Yes. Right. Okay. So on June 8th, 1962, 20th Century Fox fired her from the film Something's Gotta Give, which was a remake of the 1940... Wait, it was a remake of the film My Favorite Wife. You are so right. And it was redone with Doris Day and James Garner as Move Over Darling. Good heavens. Awesome. (laughs) The reason why they fired her, according to the studio, was her, quote, unjustifiable absences. Now, she protested that she was too sick to work, but they said, the studio execs said, well, you were apparently well enough to sing Happy Birthday, Mr. President, to JFK. So, hmm, yeah. This whole situation, though, was incredibly disturbing to her. And several sources mentioned that she did convince them to rehire her shortly before her death. So she was on target according to several sources, to come back and finish that film. Now, a PBS column about Marilyn's death really made a big deal about her problems with the pills and the alcohol at this time. Yeah. So they, just to kind of, again, just to be fair, right? Because we've talked about some of the situations with the men. Yeah. But she was also struggling very, very much with an abuse of numerous forms of the barbiturates. And let me just read this short quote to you. Lonely and harassed, Marilyn found getting to sleep especially difficult. To counteract her insomnia, she often cracked open a nebutal capsule so that it would absorb faster into her bloodstream, added a chloral hydrate tablet. Girl, you are not a pharmacist. Right, which is an old-fashioned sedative better known in detective stories as Mickey Finn or knockout drops. Then she would wash them both down with a tumbler of champagne. Oh, girl. Now, the comment made by this PBS author was, this is a particularly lethal cocktail, not only because each of these drugs increase the power of the other, but also because people who take this combination often forget how much they previously consumed or whether they took them at all and will soon reach for another dose. Yeah, see, I Googled, like, Tylenol and ibuprofen. How much time between? You gotta mm-hmm. be careful with this yeah. stuff. Yeah. So I just wanted to put that in there just to kind of give the full Picture. situation because she is in a sleepless state. She is in a place where she's. That's what I mean. Things. So maybe okay. So maybe that's what it felt like. You know how when you get really sleepy and you are kind of slurring your words, it almost that performance mm-hmm. of Happy Birthday. I haven't seen it in a while, but I feel like she was slurring her words okay. and had that kind of drugged out, not quite in control of not herself. Not quite in control of herself. So mm-hmm. she may not have been on anything drug wise like what we would consider a recreational or otherwise hard drug maybe it was just she if you take sleeping pills it's hard to come out of those right. she, especially groggy, if you're taking yeah. them every day yeah. yeah so that's what it is she seemed like groggy and not her not fully awake right well this is where we are leading up to Marilyn's death on August 5th 1962 when she was found dead in her home at 12 305 5th Helena Drive apparently the victim of an overdose of sleeping pills again she was lying face down nude in her bed with a telephone receiver dangling from her lifeless hand and near the bed 
police said they picked up an empty bottle that had contained about 50 Nebutal capsules just a few days ago. Mm. Now, let's walk through the day before and how this happened. So the night before, on August 4th, 1962, about 5.15 p.m., this was a Saturday, it said she had called her psychiatrist. Sometimes he was called psychoanalyst, so I'm not exactly sure of his title. They used both almost interchangeably across sources. But she had called her psychiatrist, Dr. Ralph Greenson, and told him she was having this trouble sleeping. So he told her to go for a ride. Now, this is from the police report. The last person to see Marilyn alive was her maid, Eunice Murray, who lived in the home. Mrs. Murray told the police that Marilyn had actually retired to her bedroom at 8 p.m. Supposedly, at some point later that evening, Marilyn Monroe had telephoned Peter Lawford. He was a British actor. Part of the Rat Pack. Yes. He was also the husband of JFK's sister, Pat. Right. So Monroe's voice was strangely slurred, it said, and she ended her conversation with him by saying, say goodbye to Pat. Supposedly, she had said this in this drowsy voice. Say goodbye to the president and say goodbye to yourself because you're a nice guy. Hmm. Okay, but a People Magazine article, this was a more recent article, said that the housekeeper Eunice Murray had later said that the actress received a call from her ex-husband, Joe DiMaggio's son, around the same time, and he had told the Los Angeles Times that she sounded normal, like Marilyn. Mm. Okay. So the guy with a vested interest in the Kindies is saying, oh no, she sounded like this. That's right. We're getting conflicting reports. Right. At about 3.25 a.m., this housekeeper noticed a light under Marilyn door. She called out to the actress, but Marilyn didn't answer. She tried the bedroom door. It was locked. She went outside and peered into the bedroom through the closed French windows. She told the police later that she thought Marilyn looked, quote, peculiar. An arm was stretched across the bed. She had her hand hanging limp with this telephone in it. And so the housekeeper rushed back into the house and she called this same psychiatrist that we had mentioned before, Dr. Ralph R. Greenson. And he was supposed to have arrived very quickly around 330 or 340, depending on the source. He actually had to break a pane of the French window to get into to the room. Found the New York Times article from August 6, 1962, and I'm reading this little section directly from that article. Okay. He quickly examined the star. She was dead. He phoned Miss Monroe's personal physician, Dr. Hyman Engelberg. After his arrival, the police were called. This was at 420, almost an hour after the housekeeper had called Dr. Greenson. Inspector Edward Walker of the Los Angeles Police was asked if he regarded such a delay in calling the police as unusual. He said he did not think so. So far as the doctors were concerned, there was no evidence of crime and the first doctor already knew she was dead, he said. I have no criticism to make of them. Okay, that was from the actual news article. Okay. Now, a more recent source shares what was supposed to have happened in that little bit of time before the police arrived. Okay, now supposedly in that hour before the police got there, one of her lawyers, a man named Milton Mickey Rudin, came and started working on the phones. Arthur Jacobs, her chief publicist, was called away from the Hollywood Bowl where he and his soon-to-be wife, Natalie Trundy, were attending a concert. And in later years, that publicist, Jacobs, would never speak about the scene in her bedroom because it was, quote, too horrible to talk about. Interesting. Right? The police got there around 4.30 a.m. Now, this is something that was mentioned just in one source, but it said something about the curious sight of Eunice Murray, the housekeeper, washing the bed sheets in the middle of the night. Mm. Okay? Now, after the police had completed the investigation, Marilyn's body was removed to the Westwood Village Mortuary. The house was sealed, placed under guard. Her bedroom was described by one of the policemen as being very simple. Quote, all she had in the room, so far as I can recall, was the bed, a little dressing table, and the night table, and the telephone that she she pulled on the bed. She left no note. Her body was later taken to the county morgue for the autopsy, and the coroner's report later listed her cause of death as, quote, acute barbiturate poisoning, ingestion of overdose, and, quote, probable suicide. Now, okay. I'm going to pause there because we're about to get into the rumors and why they think so. Okay. All we've done is just really get through her life and death. <laughs> it's been a lot. It's been a lot. <laughs> so now let's get into the rumors and the why behind them. Okay. okay? Now, I, again, I can't cover them all. So I'm just going to kind of hit on some of the big ones. Some of the main rumors are that Marilyn's death was somehow related to her reported affairs with the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe's biographer, same guy we keep referencing, James Spada, told People in 2012 that while he doesn't believe there's any proof that the Kennedys were responsible for her death, quote, 
it was pretty clear that Marilyn had had sexual relations with both Bobby and Jack. So I think the main idea that most people seem to believe is that Marilyn had to be silenced because they were afraid that her affairs with one or both of them would somehow bring down the president. Right, right. And I mean, going back to it, if she said on the movie set, they said you're late all the time and she said, I'm sick, that could be morning sickness. Mm -hmm. So it could have played into that if she was really pregnant with one of their children, that could be a big problem too. Right, right. So to tease this out just a little bit more, here are a few specific things people were throwing around, okay? Some people believe that Robert specifically orchestrated her death out of fear that she was going to expose either their own affair and or also damage, you know, JFK's presidency. Some say that JFK and possibly also Robert had shared government secrets with Marilyn. Why would you do that? Pillow talk. Ugh dudes. And including like really, what do you want to call them? Uh, Sensitive government secrets, such as a plan to kill the Cuban president, Fidel Castro. So therefore she had to be taken out because she was threatening to go public with certain things. And she was also a loose cannon to them. They they couldn't trust her with important information. There was even something said about Marilyn having a missing diary. And of course she wrote things down Uh in her diary. So I think there was the idea here is that they were concerned that she was going to expose yeah. things that she shouldn't yeah. in terms of government secrets. Another theory is that the mob was actually using Marilyn against the Kennedys because they knew about the affairs. There was the connection through Frank Sinatra, supposedly. Because the Kennedy administration was coming down so hard on organized crime, the mob saw a chance to use Marilyn to get the Kennedys to back off. To kind of entrap them. Right, to blackmail or, you know, we'll expose what you've been doing with Marilyn yeah, or yeah. whatever. So this theory was that getting rid of Marilyn could take a, take care of that problem as well. Whatever way you look at it, they're all using Marilyn. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So those were some of the big ones. But let's talk about why. Because this is what I think is so interesting is when you have a conspiracy theory where people are just kind of speculating. Yeah. That's one thing. Right. But when you have actual like really hard reasons why people are speculating. Yeah. It's like, ooh. That's yeah. juicier. So here are some different reasons. I think some might say either reasons or pieces of evidence okay. that might have sparked some of this. The JFK files. Okay. All right. As we've said, people tend to believe Marilyn and JFK did have at least one sexual encounter, even if it didn't mean much to either of them. Uh-huh. Well, according to a Newsweek article, the rumor that she might have had the affair with Robert Kennedy really probably does have some credibility. Here's the quote from this Newsweek article. This began to seem more realistic in October. 2017 with the release of the JFK files. In 2017, the American government released thousands of classified documents relating to JFK's assassination. One was a letter from the FBI to Robert that warned him a book was planning to reveal the details about their rumored affair. And so these files were officially unsealed by President Trump in 2017, but 300 pages of the documents were kept private due to concern for national security, according to USA Today. That's interesting. Right. Second cause for some of this talk and speculation was due to Inez Melson, who was Marilyn's business manager. So Joe DiMaggio had put this lady, Inez Melson, into the job of business manager to look after things. And many think it was to keep an eye on Marilyn, that Inez was supposed to kind of report back to him about what Marilyn was up to. Yeah. She was almost like a little spy. And so she was very involved in Marilyn's life. She even helped Joe arrange the funeral and pick out like what she was going to wear. But she also was the one put in charge of a lot of Marilyn's personal effects. Uh, yes. So there were two filing cabinets in Marilyn's house, one gray and one brown. And Frank Sinatra actually was the one who had advised Marilyn Monroe to get them to protect her privacy. In fact, one of them even had a built-in safe hidden in this little fake drawer. Mm. So everything, all of her files and letters and invoices and financial records and all the stuff was in there. And this lady was the one who had control of them. Oh. Now, supposedly right after Marilyn Marilyn's death, she started burning things. Oh. Like things that might be sensitive. Uh-huh. She was burning things. She took things away. And those filing cabinets ended up following her and her family for years after Marilyn died. Why they ended up staying with her, I don't know. That's odd. But at one point, one of her family members, there was kind of like this little um, talk around one of the family members saying that he had come across some of the Kennedy letters, but then they never actually materialized. Okay. But this, of course, sparked more rumors. Third reason 
Frank Sinatra. A fellow named Tony Apatisano wrote a memoir called Sinatra and Me in the Wee Small Hours. And people covered this and, and pulled some excerpts and did a little little information about it. So this is coming from the People magazine about the memoir. Uh-huh. But this close confidant of Frank Sinatra, who was also a former road manager, said in his memoir that the singer did not believe it was an accidental overdose. Quote, Frank believed she was murdered and oh. he never got over it. Oh, so he wasn't a part of it. He He's saying that I believe that she was murdered. Okay, yes. that maybe that's what I was remembering him mm-hmm. being connected. Now, here's what I found fascinating. Okay. The weekend before her death, the actress supposedly spent time at Frank Sinatra's famous Cal Neva Lodge outside of Lake Tahoe. Well, it was partially owned by Frank Sinatra. But this author said that she was actually there to spend time with her ex-husband, Joe DiMaggio, who was staying nearby, and that she had decided to make a press announcement the following week that they were getting back together. See, she had nothing to kill herself over. Right? That's the thing. If she was pregnant, let's say that she was, Mm -hmm. and she knew it wasn't going to happen with Bobby, but maybe maybe she said something like, I just FYI, I am pregnant, and that's why she was sick. But she was filming. She had talked them into rehiring her. Mm-hmm. She, if she was going to go public with getting back with Joe, maybe to cover up the pregnancy. So if she was pregnant, she needed a dad because people would go, "Hey, who's the dad?" She can't say who the dad is. So Joe's like, "Hey, let's give it a go again, at least for another nine months." And <laughs> that just doesn't sound like somebody that's about ready to kill themselves. Agree, agree. Well, here's the thing: the news of a press conference actually sparked a rumor that. That Marilyn Monroe was going to share details about the Kennedys. But this fellow writing the memoir says, quote, Frank said she'd never have spilled about the Kennedys because she still had feelings for Jack. And he goes on to say, quote, Frank believed if the press conference hadn't been announced, she would have lived a lot longer. Oh, so they misinterpreted. They she misinterpreted. Was gonna... That's his theory. Oh. Had this this news of she's going to have a press conference. Had they just said she's getting back with Joe. Yeah. She might be alive is, I guess, what he's speculating. Interesting. So within days of Marilyn Monroe's death, he talked about this attorney who also worked with Marilyn Monroe, telling him that the actress had been killed. And there was also the rumor circulating that the mob boss San Giancana's men, some of whom did actually claim involvement, were supposedly involved with it. According to this book, remember this is all coming from the book, all alleged, (laughs) but supposedly Frank Sinatra had several sources who had told him the same story, quote, she'd been murdered with a Nebutal suppository and Robert Kennedy or the mob was involved. Wow. So, which would be why she'd be on her face. Right. Yeah. And he makes one last quote that I'll I'll share with you is that he said that he knew Sinatra remained haunted by her death. Mm. Now, another reason for some of these theories is that there was some suspicious stuff with the evidence. We've already kind of alluded to that at the beginning, but now we're coming back to it. Here's a few things. The fact that no water glass was initially found in her room, which she would have needed to swallow the large amount of pills. pills. Mm -hmm. That was one thing that was suspicious. Another was there was no pill residue in her stomach. This forensic pathologist named Cyril Wecht is someone who was kind of making some comments about this. And this was in a People article from 2017. So I am quoting a little bit from this man's opinion, Mr. Wecht. But he says, with the number of capsules she would have ingested, there should have been some evidence of it. So according to him, that means there's a strong suspicion she might have been injected. Of course, the other people said suppository. Yeah, either way. Yeah, either way it would work. It said it was also mysterious that there was lack of testing on her body. The coroner supposedly took samples from her stomach and small intestines and asked the toxicologist to perform tests on them that would have determined exactly how the drugs entered her system, but the tests were supposedly never done. Hmm. Was she cremated? I don't know that. Because then you could still do tests now. Unless they That's an interesting her. point. Then, of course, another reason behind some of the rumors was attributed to the maid, Eunice Murray. She is at the center of a discrepancy over the exact time that Marilyn Monroe's body was found. She first said that she had alerted the psychiatrist around midnight... 
but then later changed the story to three. Mm. So if by some chance she had actually called him at 12, remember the police didn't get there until like four, four or four thirty. So there's a lot going on. So there's on. a big gap of time yeah. there. So during a 1983 BBC interview that a different biographer, Anthony Summers, conducted with the maid, he said that there was a quote moment where she put her head in her hands and said words to the effect of, Oh, why do I have to keep covering this up? Supposedly he asked her, covering what up, Mrs. Murray? And she said, well, of course Bobby Kennedy was there, meaning on August 4th. And of course there was an affair with Bobby Kennedy. Ooh. And Bobby Kennedy was in Los Angeles on that date. They do Ooh. know that. No, they don't know that he was in. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So we had all those issues, right? All those different things that could have sparked or fed the fire of these conspiracy theories around Marilyn's death. Mm-hmm. But it's just so hard to tell because there's so many conflicting stories out there because we, we just walked through several of these. But then we have things like Marilyn Monroe's friend, Amy Green, who I saw, she did a little interview that I was able to, to watch, a short clip. She literally said, the Cubans weren't there. The Kennedys weren't there. Like, she insists her friend just died. And who was the saying this? It was her friend, Amy Green. Okay. Yeah. And people say some strange things. So apparently Jerry Lewis at some point said that Marilyn Monroe did not have an affair with JFK. He said he knew that she didn't and claimed that he did with her. What's Jerry Lewis putting his mug in here for? Like, what, Jerry? What? How would you know? None of us know other than the two people. Well, he said that he had an affair with her and that's how he knew. Because he was so close to her. Okay, Jerry. So the the point is, there are just so many, so many confusing and conflicting things out there that it is just hard to know. But ultimately, it's just a sad ending for this, this woman who did build her empire. This one last little quote, just to kind of bring it back. They just recently did a documentary they brought out called Reframed Marilyn Monroe. I have not seen it, but it was a four-part documentary series where they had a lot of women talking about her and narrating it. And they they really tried to focus not so much, I think, on her death, but Mm -hmm. they really bring out how she was as this woman who did try to restart herself, herself, to, to build a career, to take control. And so here's a nice little quote to kind of end this. Near the end of her life, when a reporter for Life magazine asked her, if it was difficult sometimes for her to crank out her performance, Marilyn bristled instantly at the words saying, I don't crank anything. <laughs> so just kind of that idea, you know, she was purposeful. Yeah. She struggled a lot. Yeah. She had a lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. A, lot, a of, lot of trauma. A lot of demons she was dealing with. Yeah. But this was a woman who really wanted to be the best and to take control of her life. And, and truly built up from yeah, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Armchair psychologist. So I'm just going to ask you. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Oh my gosh. Did she? Oh no, I don't think she killed herself. Okay. No, hundred percent no. Okay. I don't think so. And we ran through those earlier. She had so much to live for. Mm-hmm. Pregnant or not pregnant, you can take that out. But she just convinced them to rehire her. She was trying to change the perception. She was maybe getting back with Joe DiMaggio. Why would you do this? Right. Why would you kill yourself if you were wanting to rebuild your life? I just don't. I don't think that she was. Now, who's responsible for it? Still don't know. It's one of those things. And I, I've said this so many times. I feel like on our podcast, but that's why we keep talking about it because mm-hmm. we don't know. Mm-hmm. So once it maybe it's in those three hundred pages that weren't released. But for whatever reason, we're never going to know on this side of eternity what happened to her. And it's just going to be one of those giant mysteries, I think. I I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe Mm -hmm. at some point the truth will come to light. I would lean more toward the Kennedy slash mob connection. There could be something else going on. But geez, Louise, I don't know. I guess my, my question back to you is... Did you know very much about her before this? And did it increase your respect for her? Did it make you more sympathetic? How do you feel about her coming out of this? Oh, that's an interesting question. I did not know much about her. Mm-hmm. It was very surface level. I do have more respect for her, but I think I have a whole lot more sympathy. Mm-hmm. I believe... Sympathy or empathy? Oh, that's a good question. Do you feel sorry for her or do you feel for her? I think both. Mm-hmm. Because as much as she wanted to take control I think she was victimized a yeah. lot yeah yeah I do see she tried not to be a victim but she people, kept falling into people it people still did it to her a lot and I think she also fell victim to her own struggles mm-hmm. her own traps mm-hmm. the things that you know that you try to use to get you out of things but then they just keep dragging you down yeah I wonder if she had lived today if she'd be able to get more help Mm -hmm. and understand 
her problems better. I don't think I've said this before, but I, I actually did have Marilyn Monroe Barbies when I was younger. I had them in the box. I had the gentlemen prefer blondes. Like I had her red dress and white dress. I don't know. I think maybe I had a third one. I ended up selling them because I used to, for money, I used to um, buy toys and sell them on eBay. That was one of my <laughs> first jobs. Yeah. I did not even know those things existed. I did not know they had Marilyn Monroe Barbie dolls. They did. They were beautiful. I'm sure they were. Yeah. I mean, what a fabulous idea, but I did not know this yeah. was a thing. I can't help I have to weigh in here too I 100% do not believe that she made a choice to end her life the BBC article that talked about how if you're very very dependent and you're doing a cocktail of different substances that could lead you to forget what you've taken or not taken there in my mind there's some doubt there because it talked about how many different pill bottles were in her house she was this was a huge struggle for her could she have possibly forgotten and taken more in an accidental overdose maybe is that really what I think happened no No. there was no water like you said no water and there was nothing in her stomach Right. The fact that there are so many, so many things that don't add up. Mm-hmm. There's so many mm-hmm. conflicting statements, conflicting accounts, people who seem to be making allegations that that have teeth to them, that have mm-hmm. truth to them, that, that later part about in 2017, all these years later, documents are released that affirm, yep, Robert did seem to be having a thing with Marilyn Monroe and yep. was concerned about it being revealed. Yeah, because back then, this would have destroyed careers. For sure. We think now there's scandals all the time and people come out of it. I mean, it, it'll take them down for a while, but people pretty well bounce back from a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But they wouldn't have back then. But then think about it, both of them were also gone so was there something bigger going on that we don't know about because mm, she died in 62 he died the next year 63 and i don't remember when bobby died but it was within a few years i believe before the 60s pretty, were out yeah it was pretty soon so thereafter. i think I, maybe that's the thing we don't know is there's a whole big other thing that's right. brewing right, right behind the like the stranger things there's a big big thing brewing back there that you don't know about well as we bring this to a close mm-hmm. i think it's pretty obvious who we need to give our cheers to this time ashley absolutely sweet Marilyn. i'm sorry that you're life turned out the way it did. I wish it had been better for you. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. This episode of Scandal Water was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown. That's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. All music was written, composed, performed, and mixed by Josh Martin. The artwork was designed by Matt C. Adams, while our website was developed by Joshua Reith. If you like what you hear and you want to help keep the Scandal Water brewing, please go to our website, scandalwaterpodcast.com. Just click on your podcatcher of choice, then hit follow to subscribe. And while you're there, you might as well leave us a five-star rating and review. And don't forget, it's always more fun when you share your tea with others. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests advertisers or clearly professional psychologists thanks for listening